Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. When I started this podcast, my biggest fear was running out of things to talk about. Turns out, 2020 seems to have no end of conflict, deception, or intrigue. Far short of running out of relevant things to cover, I can't keep up. For every podcast I publish, there are at least two more I want to do, but I don't have time for. The major story this week is rumors of war. One of the president's major accomplishments was not getting us into any new wars. It's really sad that that sets him apart and can be considered a major accomplishment, but there it is. The last president to complete their term without engaging our military in a new foreign conflict was Gerald Ford, who left office in 1977. It's been a while. To top that, President Trump's been working to bring our fighting men and women home from theaters we shouldn't be in. He's been pushing a wind down to the never-ending wars in Afghanistan, also known as the Graveyard of Empires because no major power has ever succeeded there long term. And Iraq, a conflict we entered on dubious grounds. And he's been trying to pull back in Syria. These are good things. When your house is full of rotting trash roaches, and dirty laundry, you don't go around the neighborhood trying to clean up everybody else's. Trouble is, there are a lot of people in positions of influence who love war. If you think about it, most of what the federal government is supposed to do is geared in that direction. Their primary responsibility is to protect and defend the citizenry of the United States from foreign threats. But there's a lot of money to be made and power to be had when war is afoot. Not to mention that there are a lot of people who spend their lives preparing for conflict who feel the need to have that preparation validated. Imagine someone spending their entire life learning martial arts in preparation for that day when they get jumped by some mugger in the parking lot. And that day never comes. They grow old, become frail, and that lifetime of training feels like a complete waste. The next generation of martial artists is going to see their example, and they'll split into two camps. One camp won't bother training. What's the point? The other will seek out unnecessary fights to validate their training. Both are a serious failure. What these two camps and our first subject have missed is that not getting into a single fight was the success. The physical fitness, the confidence stride, the attributes of vigilance and preparedness warded off any potential threats. The camp that neglects their training is not only unprepared if they are attacked, but lacks the attributes that deter predators. The camp that seeks out their fights subjects themselves and everyone around them to unnecessary harm. Look up the stats on how many Iraq veterans are missing arms and legs, developed cancer, or suffer from severe psychological trauma as a result of their experience. War is not something to consider lightly. It's something so horrific, it should be undertaken only in the most dire and extreme circumstances. We should have the most powerful, advanced, well-trained military in the world that remains ever vigilant in reserve. We should ensure that our enemies know that should they decide to poke the bear, there won't be enough left of them to identify when we're through. But we should not throw our weight around or use our adversaries to demonstrate our strength. Our military should be that man who trains his whole life, prepared to defend his family, himself, 
and his home, should the need arise, who dies at a ripe old age, grateful that it was never necessary. The military shouldn't be on a trigger, ready to be aimed and fired. It should be on a tripwire. When the United States of America is under immediate armed threat, they go to work. Right now, we're teetering on the edge of both civil war and foreign war. We shouldn't be hastening or inviting either. Our nation is divided into two distinct groups, states who want to live free and states who want control. The divide between the two is widening quickly. We're also watching China's greed for expansion. China's actions in India, in the South China Sea, their threats toward Taiwan are very reminiscent of Germany circa 1938. The demands, the rhetoric, even the circumstances are eerily parallel. Taiwan is the Sudetenland. China believes it rightfully belongs to them. India is Czechoslovakia. Xi Jinping wants their territory and resources. They are pushing the limits of the free world's toleration with overtures in the South China Sea and threats toward Australia, Japan, and Indonesia. Their intentions for global expansion and domination are an open secret. It would seem war with China is inevitable. But don't jump the gun. Let's not be too eager to plunge ourselves into the fray. There are a great many in our government who are over-eager to make that plunge. Here are some headlines from the last couple of weeks. From Newsmax, Representative Heist to Newsmax TV. Cyber attack on U.S. could rise to active war. U.S. News via Reuters. Explainer, U.S. government hack, espionage, or active war. The Hill, lawmakers ask whether massive attack amounted to active war. The Gateway Pundit, Intel experts claim the U.S. was hit by a digital Pearl Harbor. The Telegraph, Donald Trump criticized for silence over declaration of war cyber hack. Newsweek, Republicans say U.S. must retaliate for SolarWinds hack while Trump stays mum. Breitbart, GOP Representative Kinzinger, cyber attack approaching actual direct act of war by the Russians. MSNBC interviewed Senator Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut. Obviously, Senator, you can't speak to classified information, but how would you, I mean, there is obviously a lot of um, cyber espionage that happens among major powers in this world right now. Um, We know the U.S. has offensive capabilities as well as defensive ones. We know there are attempts at intrusions uh, that many countries have done. Why is this different to your mind from a policy perspective? What marks this as so alarming? What made me so alarmed and scared and, frankly, angry was the apparent scope and magnitude of this breach. And frustratingly to me, I'm not at liberty to disclose most of what I know. But the fact is the American people deserve to know because this attack was virtually an act of war. Let's break that down. He's alarmed, scared, and angry. And the implication is that we should be as well. And he considers this hack an act of war. And presumably, that means we should as well. But he offers no, I repeat, no substance to support such strong assertions. In fact, he seems to expect us to take his word for it. To be clear, I'm not suggesting the hack didn't take place. I have no reason to doubt the hack itself is real. But to assert that there is reason to be alarmed, scared, and angry, and that we should seriously consider going to war with a major world power over this, that is something they're going to have to substantiate. For all their bluster, there have been no hard substantiations offered. Let me set the stage for you. 
This hack does have serious implications. Here's what we know so far. For months now, possibly over a year, a company named SolarWinds Orion has been compromised by a foreign power. A cyber breach was recently discovered. Hacking happens every day, so why should we care about this one? Well, it's reported that the breach gave the hackers access to many of the systems operated by their clients, including the Treasury Department, the Department of Commerce, all five branches of the military, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Nuclear Security Administration, which maintains our nuclear weapons, and apparently Microsoft. The Federal Reserve, at least, has denied any breach of classified information. In an interview on CNBC, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said, As it relates to this program, this is the unclassified systems at this point. We, we do not see any break in our classified systems. From an article in Bloomberg News, When FireEye Incorporated discovered that it was hacked this month, the cybersecurity firm's investigators immediately set about trying to figure out how attackers got past its defenses. It wasn't just FireEye that got attacked, they quickly found out. Investigators discovered a vulnerability in a product made by one of its software providers, Texas-based SolarWinds Corp. We looked through 50,000 lines of code. We were able to determine there was a backdoor within SolarWinds, said Charles Carmichael, Senior Vice President and Chief Technical Officer at Mandiant, FireEye's incident response arm. After discovering the backdoor, FireEye contacted SolarWinds and law enforcement, Carmichael said. According to Bloomberg News, at least 200 organizations were hacked using the backdoor created through SolarWinds software. The article states, The number of actual hacking victims has been one of many unanswered questions surrounding the cyber attack, which used a backdoor in SolarWinds Corp's Orion network management software as a staging ground for further attacks. As many as 18,000 SolarWinds customers received a malicious update that included the backdoor, but the number that was actually hacked is likely to be far fewer from both sides of the aisle and news media. I already played the clip from Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal. Let's hear what the Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger had to say. From Breitbart. On Friday's broadcast of Fox News Radio's Guy Benson Show, Representative Adam Kinzinger, Republican from Illinois, stated that he believes the cyber attack on the federal government will make the OPM hack pale in comparison and is the biggest story of the year, probably, besides coronavirus. He added... There's a lot we need to know, but this is starting to approach an actual direct act of war by the Russians. This is going to warrant, probably, one of the stronger, if not the strongest responses we've ever had to the Russians. And frankly, if we cannot have a proportional response with just the cyber realm, there may be a place for kinetic action against, for instance, Russian proxies or Russian infrastructure. Are you kidding me? Let me put this in perspective. This is the equivalent of someone getting into your backpack in high school and copying your diary. You don't make a hasty assumption of who did it, and then go start fights with their friends or burn their locker. Kinetic action is military action. Bang, bang, boom, boom. Lots of screaming, agony, and heartache. The best advice I was ever given about fighting is this. You never, ever start a fight. Pretty simple, right? If you're attacked, you finish it, but you never start it. No one has started a fight here. Something else I've learned from study, observation, and experience? No one wins in a fight. You just lose less than the other guy. We have congressional legislators unnecessarily stoking the fires of war, calling for kinetic action. I'm the last person who will say war is never warranted, far from it, but it should not be engaged in for transient causes. The cost is just too high. It's incredible how quickly, after news of the hack broke, the finger was pointed. 
Russia is being blamed for the violation, and they may well be guilty. I just can't help that feeling that there's something we're not being told. President Trump tweeted out, The cyber hack is far greater in the fake news media than in actuality. I've been fully briefed and everything is well under control. Russia, Russia, Russia is the priority chant when anything happens because lamestream is, for mostly financial reasons, petrified of discussing the possibility that it may be China. It may. We're talking about retaliation and overtures of war without even certainty of the culprit? Glenn Greenwald captured my sentiment in a tweet. If you're someone who asserts definitively that Russia was behind these latest hacks, and especially if you're someone now calling for retaliation based on this belief, please let me know what the most compelling piece of evidence is that convinced you. The state, and especially the intelligence community, has a long history of lying to and spying on the American people. It no longer exists to serve us. The bureaucracy has developed its own institutions, its own motivations, and its own goals. When the American people are in the way of something they want, they turn on the used car salesman charm, and we're treated to a media frenzy of propaganda to pacify us into compliance, or whip us into a fervor, whichever suits their needs. If they want to go to war, they need to make a hard case. They should get no support from us without transparent, hard evidence. Do you remember back in 2002-2003 when the Bush administration wanted to go into Iraq? There was no need to convince America to go after the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11. But there was a well-coordinated campaign to get America on board with the Iraq invasion. Almost two decades later, which decision do we look back on with serious questions? Whether the hack came from Russia, China, Iran, or any of a number of other possible suspects, war with a major power will mean total war and should be duly considered with open access to the facts. Florida Senator Marco Rubio tweeted, The methods used to carry out the cyber hack are consistent with Russian cyber operations, but it's crucial we have complete certainty about who's behind this. We can't afford to be wrong on attribution, because America must retaliate, and not just with sanctions. I agree with Senator Rubio in part. We cannot stand by and allow an intrusion of this magnitude to go unanswered, but the response must be proportional and must not be the catalyst for far more than we bargained for. Right now, what we need is a measured response and deterrent. And the feds need to up their cybersecurity game. If we're not careful, we're going to get one of two extremes. The federal bureaucracy, which loves war, will jump the gun and get us into a war we can't handle, given our current situation here at home. Or we'll go to the other extreme, and Neville Chamberlain this thing, leaving the door wide open. We're still... It's my opinion that this was more likely China, and that Biden and his cronies will collaborate with Beijing, not only appeasing them, but working with them to our own detriment. The last time the free world tried appeasement, the Germans walked right through Czechoslovakia and Poland, smiling and glad-handing us as they did. It cost six years and somewhere in the ballpark of 50 million lives to stop them. Yeah, that sounds like a party we want to start up again. You think COVID lockdowns are bad? There's a famous quote from Albert Einstein, from the Oxford Reference. When asked what weapons would be used in a third world war, Einstein said, I don't know, but I can tell you what they'll use in the fourth. They'll use rocks. Einstein wasn't even the first person to suggest the idea. From the Wisconsin State Journal, September 1946, a couple of years before the Einstein interview, syndicated columnist Walter Winchell Reporters at Bikini Atoll were questioning an army lieutenant about what weapons would be used in the next war. I don't know, he said, but in the war after the next war, sure as hell they'll be using spears. Any of you have a place to go that's safe from bombing? 
Can you produce enough of your own food to live if the supply chain is disrupted? And don't make the stupid comment about taking it from your neighbor. If they have that substantial of food stock on hand, rest assured they have guns, friends with guns, and a plan for dealing with the likes of you. Can you heat your home with utilities shut off? What do you do after dark when you've run out of batteries? I haven't even touched on the real suffering yet. What do you do when the bombing ends and your spouse is dead and one of your children is bleeding out fast? There's no emergency services. Everyone just got bombed. Even if you can get to a hospital, they're likely to be overrun with a thousand people just like you. We haven't seen war at home for something like eight generations, and that was before modern technology and weapons. We're not even sort of ready for something like this. No decent person wants war. Notice, I didn't say no one wants war. It's easy to see why the news media wants war. Legacy media is dying. Their primary source of fuel, Donald Trump, appears to be leaving the White House, leaving the masses with little to no reason to continue patroning them. They're watching impending bankruptcy and joblessness loom over their industry. War would mean the rapt attention of most of the United States and a considerable portion of the world. There are a lot of well-connected business people who would love war. War means government contracts and lots and lots of money. Here in the U.S., we have a machine, colloquially referred to as the military-industrial complex, capable of churning out incredible volumes of war material. That's an asset when it's needed, but it's also a hungry machine that must be kept in check. For politicians, it's a welcome distraction from their failures. Nothing unites people like a common enemy, particularly an existential threat. The usual political pushback tends to evaporate as everyone defers to the imperative of crisis, and major leadership changes are extremely uncommon. The War of 1812 was presided over, in its entirety, by Madison. The Mexican-American War was Polk. The Civil War, entirely by Lincoln. The Spanish-American War, McKinley. World War I was entirely Wilson. World War II was Roosevelt. Without precedent, he was elected to a third term. That's the power of wartime. He was only replaced when he died in office, and even then, Truman was his vice president. There wasn't even a change of administration. Power has never changed hands while the United States was threatened. The Korea and Vietnam conflicts are the first two examples we have where power changed hands via election during armed conflict. The only other example is the Iraq-Afghanistan intervention. None of these three operations were declared war, and none ever presented a homeland threat to the American people. A side note, in each of these final cases, a driving motivation for the change of power was the cessation of combat operations. In each case, that motivation was disappointed. Let's also consider the state we're in. We haven't been this divided as a nation since the 1850s. Do you remember what happened in the 1860s? We're in no position to be talking big and throwing our weight around in the condition we're in. We've had riots raging somewhere in the U.S. pretty much every night since May. People are demanding their government steal from their neighbor to give them higher wages, free college, free health care. Does that sound like people ready to sacrifice all to preserve liberty in a global war? Do you really think today's 18 and 19-year-old draft pool, you know, the ones that are terrorizing university campuses across the nation with pronoun and gender fluidity demands, enforced with fists, bottles, and fireworks, the ones who are actively working to overthrow constitutional rights like freedom of speech, the ones who are suffering most from the American obesity epidemic, the ones who, in large measure, have never done any real manual labor in their lives. Does this sound like the stock that will be storming beaches or valiantly holding key positions in sub-freezing temperatures? I'm not talking about the volunteers serving in our armed forces. Those men and women are, by and large, better than average. Look at the lifestyles being lived by the current draft pool and tell me you're optimistic of our chances in a prolonged global conflict. Make no mistake, this hack is huge. 
I've heard it suggested this could be the biggest hack in U.S. cyber history. This is an act of espionage of biblical proportions. But it's just that. An act of espionage. Not an act of war. No force or coercion was involved. They didn't use the software exploit to blow the power grid to the eastern seaboard. They didn't detonate our nuclear missiles in their silos. They didn't delete the medical records for half the U.S. or the banking records. They stole information. We do it. They do it. We have two entire federal agencies dedicated to stealing information, both from foreigners and from us. They're called the CIA and the NSA. And what they do all day long is find out everything they can about anyone they can, us included. We've been caught spying on our allies. Is it an act of war when we steal information from Britain or France? Heaven forbid. If we treated espionage the way we treat military attacks, pretty much every country would be at war with pretty much every other country all of the time. Espionage is about information, not force or coercion. It is a vital component to war, but it is not war itself. Now, cybersecurity is a serious issue. Pretty much everything can be accessed or affected remotely at this point if you know where and how. Hacking the power grid could leave millions without power and communication. Within days, diabetics and others with refrigerated medications would begin to die. During the summer, in parts of the country, the elderly and medically compromised die without air conditioning. Fuel pumps stop working, bringing the supply chain to a sudden standstill. If the area affected was regional or larger, utility providers would go offline. Running water would become quickly unavailable and sewage services would cease to function. That sounds fun. With cell towers and internet down, communication and coordination on any real scale would be impractical. Hacking the banking industry could cripple our economy in an instant. Zero the bank accounts for half the country and you have an instant depression. Worse yet, digitally add $10 million to each of half of the country's bank accounts and you create instant hyperinflation. This is why these institutions go to such lengths to protect their networks. The implications of a hack of this magnitude are nothing to balk at. What could be done with real access to the systems that control our infrastructure, is something that we should, and for the most part, I believe do, take seriously. A serious intrusion into the right networks could literally send us back to the Stone Age. But this time, it wasn't an act of war. It wasn't an attack at all. It involved data and information. Like any crime, it must be investigated, there must be consequences. And we must improve our cybersecurity to prevent a repeat incident. But the consequences must be measured to ensure they don't cost us just as much as they cost the as-yet-unidentified perpetrator. Alright, I'm going to leave it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Parler at RealIntoTheFray. If there are any pressing topics I'm not covering, hit me up on either one and let me know what you're thinking. Till next week, be informed, stay safe, and especially when it comes to war, don't do anything stupid. (music) 